Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. comedy was like this thin layer that they used to paste over the cracks and the brokenness that they were actually feeling. In 2014, some of you may remember, um, the world was shocked when uh, Robin Williams took his own life. And people were massively shocked. I mean, this guy was one of the funniest guys alive. How many have seen Jumanji or Mrs. Doubtfire or Good morning, Vietnam. That's one of my favorites. He was just a comedy genius. He he'll be, built a career out of making people laugh and bringing joy to other people's lives, yet no one really knew the torment that was going on underneath, the, the deep sadness that was there. And, and tragically, that led him to take his own life. Underneath all of the laughter was a deep sense of... I think first and foremost, part of what the word joy means, in in the Greek, it simply means to take delight in God's grace. Every time you read about joy, especially in the New Testament, it means that someone is taking delight in God's grace. Joy is the response to the love and grace of God. And so before we can really learn to cultivate a life of joy, we have to experience the gospel and an encounter with Jesus, because that's the place which joy flows from. And through the gospels, you'll read of so many people who encounter Jesus, and the overriding response and emotion and, and life that is kind of raised up is one of joy, because when you encounter Jesus, you can't help but experience joy. Those of you who are here who have said yes to following Jesus, I can imagine the moment that you did that, the overriding feeling is joy, because you recognize who he is and what he's done for you. I don't believe you can genuinely be in the presence of God and not leave with joy. Anyone agree? When you encounter his presence, that's why the psalmist reads, he, he, he writes this, would you restore unto me the joy of your salvation? In other words, bring me back to that first moment when I recognize what you did for me and who you are, because in that place, joy stirs up. And so, in light of that, I want to look at three ways in which we can begin to experience and cultivate a life uh, of joy, not just momentary thing that is fleeting, but we can abide and stand and, and be people who radiate the joy uh, that is in Jesus. And so the first thing that I believe that helps us to cultivate a life of joy is to abide. We find joy by abiding. Let me read some verses from John 15. Starting at verse 9, Jesus says this, he said, Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know, there can be an expectation that the way that we experience joy is that simply God drops it on us in a moment. Often in a worship moment, we go, ooh, some joy there because we experience the presence of God. And it's not to belittle that, but joy is way more than a momentary feeling. Jesus intended joy to be something that lasts. Because um, God doesn't simply want to drop joy on you in a moment. His desire is that joy becomes a constant in our lives. He wants you to grow and mature and cultivate a life where uh, 
Uh, joy is a part of your character, the very fabric of your being. He wants you to be known for, to be a person who is full of joy. And it all starts with abiding, or the way that the passage we read said, to, to remain. The, the word is the same, to abide, to remain in God's presence. The Psalm 1611 says this, uh, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. You fill me with joy in your presence. I wonder how much of our joy is taken from us because of busyness. Anyone agree? Like, do you, do you wish you had more time to spend with Jesus, more time to spend with your family? I think that's most people uh, on earth. Because busyness is the enemy of intimacy, and yet intimacy with Jesus is the key to unlocking joy in your life. Because joy is found in the presence of God. You know, one of the most detrimental reasons for family breakups is because the lack of time that people spend together when someone's out at work or busy doing other things and the thing that is of most value, which is spending time with the people they love. There's a breakdown in relationship when we do not spend time together. And the same is true of God. If we're not spending time in his presence, abiding, being with him, you will never start to experience and cultivate a life of joy. Later in John 15, Jesus says these words. He says, you know, if you don't abide in me, you will bear no fruit and you will be good for nothing. But here's the key in John in order to get to joy. Jesus says this, in order to abide, you have to obey. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. You can't abide in the presence of God unless you're obeying what he tells us to do. Obedience is the key to cultivating a life of joy. Hence why he says, I have told you this so that your joy may be complete. And you might be sitting there thinking, Pete, well, how can doing something that someone else has told me to do bring me joy? You might be thinking of when your parents used to tell you to do things, that was the opposite of joy, right? Because you didn't want to do the things they were telling you to do. But with Jesus, the key to unlocking joy is being obedient to the things he has called us to do. Because to choose the way of Jesus is to choose a better way. To choose obedience to Jesus is to enter into God's best for us. To choose the way of Jesus is to choose life and freedom. To choose the way of Jesus is to choose the way that leads to human flourishing because he created you, he knows you, he has a plan for your life. In order to see the fullness of God and his plan for your life unfold, it starts with obedience. If you want to unlock joy in your life, start obeying. When we obey, we abide in him. Through obedience to Jesus, we give him permission to break into our everyday, Monday, mundane, routine experiences. The everyday sort of nine to five grind, the, the school run, the giant to-do list. When we, when we are obedient to the things of Jesus, we invite him into that space and he redeems it by giving us a joy and expectation of what he is able to do. So when you're filled with the joy of the Lord, you don't enter Monday morning thinking, oh, flipping heck, it's a Monday morning. You enter Monday morning with the joy because if you're being obedient to the things he's called you to do, you start your day with an expectancy of, God, what do you want to do in me and through me? There's an excitement about him being able to redeem your Monday morning. No one, unless you're 
of a particular variety of personality really likes a Monday morning, but God can redeem that. God can redeem your school run. If you're being obedient to everything that he's called you to, you can have a joy about that because his possibilities start to become a reality in our lives. The second way to cultivate a life of joy um, is by changing the way that we think, by changing the way that we think. You know, part of the human condition is that we live as casualties to our emotions. If you've ever woken up, let's give Monday morning an example. Usually people wake up on a Monday and go, oh, it's Monday. But if you've ever had those moments and you wake up and you think you're in a musical and you kind of sing as you're in the shower, you get into your car and life is good and you're singing to the radio or whatever it is you sing to and all of a sudden someone cuts you up and it just ruins your day. And you go from joy to being filled with anger and hate towards the guy who's just cut you up. Maybe it's just me. But I've had those moments. And, and the Bible has so much to say about the way that we think because your mind is the battlefield to your heart and your emotions. Everything that we feel is filtered through our minds. We will experience something. We process it here, and then it filters down to your heart. And so the Bible is repeatedly talking about we need to change the way that we think. And in Philippians 4, Paul says these words. You might know it well. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And that word rejoice simply means to be full of joy. And you know what? It's written here as a command. Joy is a command. And you think, how can joy be a command? You can't tell me what I should be feeling. Because joy isn't something we can simply conjure up. If you tell me, Pete, you need to be joyful, I can't do it. It's something that I cannot force, and you can't will yourself to feel joy. However, what you can do is you can develop a thought life in which joy becomes the strongest possible outcome. You can change the way you think because what you think about changes how you feel. After Paul commands us to be joyful, he gives some really practical ways in how we can change the way we think. He says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the good bit. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, here it comes, Think about such things. You're transformed by the way that you think. Your emotions are a direct result of what your mind is set on. You can make the choice to choose joy by changing what you think, how you think. And if you don't believe me, just remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is a master at the discipline of changing the way you think. I mean, anyone who's locked up in prison and not being able to be out where you want to be, shouldn't have joy, but he does. Why? Because he knows how to, to cultivate a thought life which can only lead to joy. You don't have control over what you feel, but what you do have control over is what you think about. And what we feel always follows what we think about. For example, if I mention Brexit, there's usually a little bit of a groan. Donald Trump, or the looming environmental crisis that we seem to be facing, if you start to think about these things, it's no doubt going to raise some certain emotions in you. It might be sadness, it might be pity, uh, it might be uh, doom or gloom or frustration, because what we think about, and if you set your mind on something, you will start to feel what you're thinking about, if that makes sense. And so Paul is saying, if you want joy, 
Choose to think about something better. He says in another place to set your mind on things above. And you know what? We often think, God, I want joy, so would you dump some joy on me? He does do that, and he can do that. He can do that. Um, But what he wants is to cultivate a way of thinking, which the only response can be joy. And just a few practical ways. I just want to ask you, what is the first thing that you do in the morning? I don't know. Everyone has a different routine. What's the first thing you do? I'm sure for, for many people, the first thing that we do is we turn on our phones and we maybe scroll down the news feed, maybe BBC News. You may turn on the TV. You might read a newspaper. And there's nothing bad in that. But if you want to start your day well... I wouldn't start with doing that because the first thing that you can hear can be someone else's misery or complaining on Facebook or, or it could be someone else's joy, which makes you feel terrible. Do you know when you wake up on a Monday morning, you see someone's in like Barbados and you're thinking, oh, I wish I was there. Or you turn on the news and you just hear about the brokenness in the world. The first thing that we start our day with will set the tone for how we feel about the rest of the day. And so one of the habits I am really trying to cultivate, and I've, I've wrestled with this, is to try this thing called Bible before breakfast. So I will switch my alarm off. I'll try and put my phone on silent and put it away somewhere. And I'll try and read my Bible before breakfast. So the first thing that I'm thinking about is the Word of God. It's truth. It's good news. It's good for my soul. It's going to change the way I think for the rest of the day. If I read about Jesus being Savior and Lord, when I come to turn on the news and see the bad news, I think, well, at least I know the truth before I know the bad news, if that makes sense. And so there's practical things that you can do by the way that you start your day, which will help change the way that you you think. Anybody agree that the last thing at night is the worst time for your mind to wander? The smallest things can make you feel anxious, whether it's you're lying in bed thinking, oh no, I've got another two weeks before payday and this is coming out and that's coming out or oh no I've got to have that conversation with that person and it's going to be really awkward and in the daytime these things don't quite seem as bad but at night anyone find it things just seem a whole lot worse so why not finish your day by instead of looking through your news feed and letting your mind wander why don't you focus it on the word of God why don't you play some worship listen to some worship why don't you recount some of the promises of God so you're filling your mind with good things so rather than your mind wondering about all the bad things you can focus on something good and you'll start your sleep with joy it's just practical ways we can do this Richard Foster wrote an amazing book called The Celebration of Discipline and it will change your life when you read it Um, I've started to reread it recently and he says this the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will it's not something that falls on our heads it is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living so I want to try this now if you're comfortable, just close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm just going to speak to us, but just gets us away from distractions. So if you want to close your eyes, and just for a moment, why not bring to mind um, those people in your life that you are most grateful for? The people that you love the most. It might be family, uh, a spouse. It might be nieces, nephews, your children. If it's not family, it might be just the people you do life with, people in this church community. It might be someone at work, but just someone that you value. And then just thank God for them. Maybe think back to a moment in your life which you have experienced joy. It might be the birth of a child. Maybe think back to a holiday, the time on the beach. 
It might just be the simple thing of having a meal around a table. Maybe for you, it might be, for me, it's Christmas Day. The joy of being with family and just begin to take it in and again begin to thank God for it. Or maybe even simpler still, imagine your favorite place in the whole world. It might be the beach. It might be being in the hills, the mountains. If you've got simple tastes like me, maybe it's just enjoying your favorite chair with a cup of Yorkshire tea. Maybe it's watching a sunrise or the night sky full of stars. But again, as you think about these good things, just say, God, I'm so grateful for that. I thank you. Or perhaps best of all, maybe just think about who God is. This scripture is so important. Just maybe think about the things that God's done in your life. Think about the moment you first encountered him. Think about a time when he's answered your prayers. When you've seen a breakthrough, when you've seen a miracle, when you've seen his provision or you've seen his faithfulness. Just begin to think about those things and again begin to thank him. Awesome. Let's see you open your eyes. Just, I mean, I sped through that, but you could spend time just cultivating the way that you think, thinking about the good things. Yes, reflect on Scripture and the Word, but just reflect on the good things of life. The Bible says every good and perfect gift is from above, is from the Father of lights. And when we begin to think about those things, I don't know about you, when I, when I think about my family, I'm filled with joy. When I think about my, my newborn daughter, I'm filled with joy because I'm changing the way that I think. Lastly, and we're going to land in a moment, but lastly, my favorite of these three ways that you can cultivate a life of joy is through celebration. I've just spoken about Richard Foster's book, The Celebration uh, of Discipline, which sounds like, how can you celebrate discipline? But it's, it's amazing. It's about these cultivating, life-changing patterns of behavior. And in, in, in this book, he's got a whole chapter on celebration, and I will butcher kind of what he says really articulately, so go and check it out. But he begins by saying this. He says, um, apathy, and mel- mel- again, apathy and melancholy dominate the times. I mean, how true is that? In so many ways, we're a society who has lost its joy. The present uncertainty of the future of the nation um, weighs heavy on so many people. And the thing about uncertainty is that it breeds fear, and it's hard to have joy in the face of fear. But Richard Foster continues, and he says this, Modern man has been pressed so hard towards useful work uh, and uh, rational calculation, he has all but forgotten the joy of ecstatic celebration. It's the art of celebration that brings the joy to life. And you know what? I think the church needs to rediscover celebration. And you know, it's part of what we do here on a Sunday. This is a moment for celebration where we bring what God has done in the week and we celebrate and we worship and we lift his name high and we share testimony of what he's done. It's a moment of celebration, but what about through the week? You know, Jesus knew the discipline of celebration. When he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, he wasn't. But 
every time I read scripture, he's at a party, he's, he's having dinner with someone, he's, he's celebrating with people. He loved to celebrate, not as the world celebrates, but he just celebrated the good things in life. He, he knew how to celebrate life and people and all that is good in the world. And, and there's so many ways to celebrate. I'm going to name just a few. Like, the art of celebration is worship, and it, it, we can read scripture and share testimony. But what about the simple gifts that God's given is music, dancing. Who likes to dance when no one else is around? Yes, there's a few people. Like, turn up your Bluetooth speaker loud and start to dance. Start to celebrate life. Just live in the moment and celebrate all that's good. Throw a party, eating, drinking, crack open a bottle of bubbly. You know, most of my precious moments in my life have been around a dinner table with people that I love and care about. They bring joy. There's something about celebrating that causes joy to rise. And Jesus wants you to celebrate just Read the Gospels through the lens of Jesus likes to party, and you go, oh, yeah, he does. Like, he likes to eat, he likes to drink, he likes to go to parties and get invited to places because he appreciated the good things in life, which leads to a life of joy. In the Old Testament, this is one of my favorite Old Testament passages. In Deuteronomy 14, um, um, the writer writes about a certain kind of tithing. I'm going to read it to you. And it says this, you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses um, to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine, your oil um, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And it says this, you shall, um, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, for sheep, for wine or similar fermented drink. For what your heart desires, you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. Just to give a little bit of context, basically three times a year uh, for the people of Israel, they were commanded to take 10% of their, 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 their um, income on what they own. And back then, they didn't really deal in money. It was kind of sheep and goats or uh, other precious things. And instead of giving it into um, as an offering, before the Lord, or in our context, giving it to the church, God commanded, throw a massive party, celebrate, and in here it says, fermented drink for wine, and again, not to celebrate as the world does, but to celebrate all that is good in the world, and this is a command, and people might think, well, that's pretty wasteful for three times a year to give 10% of your income into a massive party. I don't think it is, because a lot of people say, well, why would God command such a thing? I think he commands such a thing because God is the most joyful being in the whole world. And he wants us through the art of celebration to enjoy everything that is good in the world. So maybe your takeaway from tonight is simply to go and throw a party and celebrate. Again, not as the world celebrates, but celebrate the goodness of God. Celebrate the kingdom. Celebrate his provision. Throw a party. Get good people around you and celebrate all that he's done and put in your life. Celebration helps cultivate joy. And you know what? Joy gives birth to strength. We read this verse a lot and it gets quoted. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And it is strength that helps us, even in the face of the toughest seasons in our lives, to stand strong. I've had the privilege to go out to India quite a few times now. And um, we go and visit some friends who run a children's home. And these children have been rescued uh, from abusive uh, horrible, 
homes and situations. Some of them are orphans. Some of them have simply been abandoned because their parents can't afford to look after them. And, and, and yet, when we go to visit these kids, I went to see one of their rooms, and they've got like, um, they have bunk beds, and, and one of them said, oh, come and see all my things. And the, the, the suitcase where he kept all of his possessions was smaller than my carry-on luggage. And yet this little boy had a joy about him. And then I saw them in worship. And I just saw that they had learned the art of celebration. They knew what it is to thank God for the small things, but the beautiful and good things in life. And they had a joy that I was jealous of. I mean, I'm materialistically, I'm so rich. I have so much. I have wardrobes full of clothes and a fridge full of food. These guys had very little. But because they knew the art of celebration, they had a joy that I could only hope for and wish for. Just to finish and give us a bit of application, I just want to ask you one final question. How do you know if you're joyful? How do you know if the joy of the Lord is your strength? One of the first practical things you can do is ask someone, ask someone close to you and say, do you see joy in me? But I think there's three really good measures, and this year I'm going to pop through these really quick. Um, the three good measures of joy are love, generosity, and strength. And I say this because when was the last time you met a genuinely loving person who wasn't full of joy? You know, joy has to leak out of you. Like, whether it's, you can't be joyful and not show it, right? Like, it leaks out in a smile, a hug, whether you dance or sing or whistle, or by the way that you love people. Jesus was the most joyful person in the world, yet he's the most loving person in the world. If you think about the most loving people in your life, are they joyful people? They certainly are. The second thing that's a marker of joy in your life is generosity. We looked this morning at the story of Zacchaeus, uh, and Zacchaeus, in response to an invitation from Jesus, he was filled with joy, and without command and without being told so, he gave so much away. He was generous. I was like, is generosity a marker of joy in your life? If not, maybe you need more joy, and finances are a part of that. We give, not because we have to, because that's not joyful. We give because we want to, because God is good, but also, are you generous with your time? I've been quite convicted that I'm often quite selfish with my time, and I think, man, I'm lacking joy, because if I'm joyful, I want to give time to people. If I'm joyful, my home is no longer a castle on my safe place. If I'm joyful, I want to be generous with my home. I want to open the doors so that people can come in and I can welcome people. I want to be generous with how I give myself to people, and that flows from a place of joy. When did you ever meet a stingy, generous person? Not stingy, generous person. A miserable, generous person. You didn't, because generous people are all joyful. The most, joyful, most generous people I know in my life are the most joyful people. And finally... A marker of joy, I've just said it already, is strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And often, the marker of joy in your life is when you go through the tough season. Not that we're naive to the, and cover over the fact that life is tough. But joy gives strength. Because when we know the fullness of joy that comes through Jesus, through abiding, through changing the way we think, and through celebration, it gives us the strength to go through the storm and to stand because we know the truth of who Jesus is. His joy resides in us. And the sufferings of this world, they are passing away. Not that they're not important and they don't matter. They do. But our joy is in the Lord whose joy is forever. It is eternal. 
there's always a reason to hope because of what Jesus has done. And there's always a reason that we can have joy. I'd love to invite Ben up and we're going to worship. But I'd just love to pray for a couple of groups of people. So I'd love to, if you're able to, to stand. And just kind of maybe to do away with distraction, just to, just to close your eyes. I know we've come through a lot, but hopefully God has been speaking to you. And the first group of people I want to speak to, maybe you reflect on your life and you think, actually, the markers of joy in my life, that they're not particularly strong at present. And before we can begin to cultivate those habits of abiding, of, of, of celebration, um, and of changing the way we think, joy comes from an encounter with the presence of God. And maybe this morning you've not had that recently, or maybe you've never had that. And I just think Jesus wants to encounter some people afresh to kind of spark that joy off so you can begin to cultivate those good things in your life where joy can not only be a momentary thing, but it can be something that you live in and becomes part of your character. So if you just want a fresh encounter with Jesus, just, again, there's no magic in this. It's just a sign, a physical sign of Jesus. I, I surrender this to you. So if you want a fresh encounter with the Lord, maybe just open your hands and say, God, oh, come and meet me afresh. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Take me back to that first place of knowing the joy of who you are and what you've done for me. So Holy Spirit, would you come? May we be people who are marked by joy. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. And you don't get a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on a stand so it gives light. And one of the things that gives light to followers of Jesus is joy. Not that we always have it all together, but we can have strength in that. And so, Father, would you... Give us that joy. Mark us with your joy, with your presence. May this week we have a renewed hunger to pursue your presence. The fullness of joy, as the psalmist says, is found in your presence. May we seek you in greater measure. And right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? just finally, maybe for another group of people, um, you just want to cultivate good habits in your life. And the enemy of intimacy, as I said, is busyness and distraction. And maybe there are things that are stopping you cultivating good habits. And so you don't see the fullness of joy in your life. And maybe you're just so distracted and you're so busy. And maybe there's some things that you just think, "I I need to lay that down. It might be as simple as you need to turn your phone off in the morning so you can spend some time with Jesus. Or for other people, you just need to take an active step to change the way that you think. You know, anxiety and stress are rife, and, and there's, no sh- there's no shame in that. But, but the, the Lord calls us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and so... The Holy Spirit, I want to pray for anyone who wants to cultivate these new patterns of behavior to change things. Father, would you just give them the strength to be able to do that? 
Holy Spirit, you give us the strength to do things we can never do for ourselves. And so Holy Spirit, would you come give people strength to do what we couldn't do for ourselves, to do away with the distraction, to have the strength of character and mind to pursue you, to change the way we think, to learn the art of celebration, to learn to abide so that our joy may be complete. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.